this story out of Toronto has larger implications and actually could cover a lot of uh, the areas throughout the province who are also finding that their schools are in serious need of repair. There's a story today, the CBC, um, that says there are 14 aging Toronto schools that would cost more to repair than rebuild. Here to talk about it is our Toronto District School Board spokesperson, Ryan Bird. Ryan, welcome to the show. Morning, Kelly. Good to have you on. Now, these 14 schools that are listed uh, in this CBC article, um, apparently it's cheaper to rebuild than repair. How bad is it? So basically what ends up happening is that each year uh, through the ministry consultants, we come up with something called a facilities condition index. So the closer you get to 100%, as a a handful of these schools are, that essentially means that it's or equal to repairing the building is equivalent to uh, rebuilding the building. Um, I think it's a little more complex than that in the sense that you could have a building that is over 100 years old, beautiful architecture. So do you repair it as best you can or do you tear that down? And and that's something that, uh, you know, we obviously don't want to tear down the architecture and history. Uh, you've got some of our schools that look more like castles than they do like schools, quite frankly, and they're, they're beautiful. Um, at issue, though, is that when you get up close to that 100% mark, you've got some of the bigger ticket items. So like a, a boiler, for example, especially in a large school, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if the average lifespan of a boiler, and I'm just uh, just for argument's sake, making it up at 25 years, um, we've managed to extend the life of that past 30. Technically, that needs replacement now but we've made it work with some uh, you know customized parts that kind of thing and made it work so that's counted towards that number overall though the fact is we have our, our average school is more than 60 years old some of them are over 100 and um, you know they are starting to show their age i will tell you though that where we can we we're obviously making them as welcoming as possible and you may not see that um, when you walk into the school it's really behind the walls the the electrical systems, the boiler systems, that kind of thing. You know, we we talk about the infrastructure being outdated, but how expensive is it to make a custom uh, fix for your boiler? Well, yeah, and that's going to depend on the part. Uh, But sometimes you have a boiler that's so old that you can't pop into Home Depot. Uh, You have to have a part actually manufactured for that specific boiler. So it does take time. And so when a boiler goes down, it's not always a quick fix. Sometimes we can get them back up and running fairly quickly. Other times, maybe one out of two or three boilers that are out, and that'll be down for a couple of weeks while we fix that. But Ryan, uh, it seems to me that the uh, problems within the schools that we're talking about here at the TDSB, and we've heard about them several times with parents being concerned Mm -hmm. about you know, uh, the backlog in repairs, it's much bigger than just an outdated boiler. Can you give us an idea of other repairs that are kind of put on the back burner? Because I understand that you've got a certain, like, it's almost like a triage system that the Toronto District School Board uh, lists things that need to be fixed as far as schools go uh, and infrastructure. You triage it. So, like, give us an idea of, like, the smallest problems to the biggest. So we have over $3.5 billion on that repair backlog. So you've got some of the big ticket items like an entire roof, uh, a boiler system. Those are expensive items. I can tell you roofs, uh, we we have hundreds of thousands of square feet of roofs uh, that are have been worked on more recently over recent years. We are getting ahead of that. But that's an example 
of one of those emergency repairs that we always have to tackle first. So, you know, if you've got water pouring in, the fact is we can't just patch that and move on. Typically, that's going to have to be addressed first. We address all the... But do you patch needs. it and then kind of address it? you got to do a quick fix, right? Well, yeah, we, we do the quick fix to patch it, but then the, the replacement roof or at least huge sections of it would be bumped up in that urgency uh, to get that done quicker. Uh, but then you've got the smaller things. You might have, um, you know, vents that need to be replaced. Uh, there's a whole host of different things. You think of your house, all the things that could possibly, you know, go wrong, for lack of a better term. Uh, and then you amplify that on a building that could be, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 square feet. Yeah. You don't have to tell me about old buildings. I mean, I live in a hundred year old house, so I mean, everything needs to be kept up. What's going on? I mean, how does a backlog in repairs get to be $3.5 billion? Is it just that it is expensive to retrofit these old buildings? Because everybody knows it is more expensive to retrofit old buildings. Or is this a situation of where, you know, this backlog has been going on because people have been putting money in the wrong place? Like what's going on? No, and when we when we receive money for renewal, we have to go. We have to spend that on renewal and repair. So that's not something that is going elsewhere. When we all the money we receive, we go into repairing our schools. But you've got 583 schools. Uh, some of them are quite old and take more of the money away because it takes more to keep them up. And then you've got the emergency repairs. So what we found over the years is that despite the fact that we are receiving more money from the provincial government we are still really only managing to take care of those emergency and urgent repairs and ones to do with health and safety. So it's a lot harder to start chipping away to kind of get below that three and a half million mark or three and a half billion mark um, to do that. So one of the things that we've asked for over recent years is education development charges. So other school boards across the province get access to these development charges when a new condo or a new building or what have you goes in. Uh, but in Toronto, we don't have access to that. So what we're asking the province is for access to education development charges. We figure we could unlock hundreds of millions of dollars in those charges that could help us build new schools, uh, put it towards our repairs, and really start to chip away at more than $3.5 billion. You know, there's a lot of condos that are going up, and I know that they're putting uh, some private schools into those condos. Does the Toronto District School Board ever uh, think about approaching developers that have a significant area of land and say to them, okay, let's put a school in your building? Is that something that you guys have considered? We have. We're we're actually looking at that downtown. Uh, You know, it's a very unique uh, opportunity that comes with its challenges, uh, how big do you need? What floor would it be on? You know, there's a, a whole host of different things that we haven't really had to think about from a, a typical school that you'd find either downtown or in the suburbs. But yeah, we are looking at one of those downtown right now, actually. Okay, so let me just see if I can wrap my head around this, because I think yeah. the, the go-to is that the what people believe goes on is that, you know, let's let's take the Toronto District School Board, get specific here. They get government funding yearly. And then the funds are allocated to teachers get some of the funds, you know, uh, the actual infrastructure gets another area of the funds. Um, And I I think the default here would be, especially with the teachers striking, Uh because some of the people feel that the teachers are only in it for the money and they get too much of the piece of the pie of the government funding. Um, And, you know, I want to make sure we get to the bottom of what this, how funds are actually um, allotted from the government to uh, the school board. So you say that there's actually um, funds set aside for renewal and repair. There are. are. And so when you get funding from the Ministry of Education, 
there's they call them sweated funding or unsweated funding. So sweated funding means you get it and you have to spend it on what it's intended for. So in this case, it's renewal, repair, energy upgrades, that kind of thing. We get money for that. It has to go towards that. Where you might get other funding for another area that it's for X, but we're actually needed in the Y area. So we're able to kind of adjust that as needed. Oh, so you're, you're to- taking money from Y and giving it to X in some cases. Yes, all school boards, that's what happens. You get money for X, and sometimes you spend a number on X, but maybe there's a little bit left over, so you spend it on Y, because it doesn't absolutely 100% have to go towards whatever they intend. But when it comes to repairs, though, when we get that money, that's all going to repairs. We get hundreds of millions of dollars, and I can assure you, despite that, going all towards repairs and renewal, uh, we still need more. Uh, That's just keeping up with the emergency repairs. Well, I mean, $3.5 billion is the backlog Mm -hmm. for schools and the buildings. How much is the government kicking in? Uh, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I want to say it's uh, there's different pots of money, but it's I think it's about 200, 300 odd million. And then you get we got additional over recent years as well which we've asked to not be, you know, funding that we look for each year, but just become normal. We want that consistent, reliable funding going forward. So does the government feel that it's unreasonable that you've got your cost for repairs up at $3.5 billion as far as a backlog? Is that why they're not giving you the, certain, the uh, amount of money? Well, one of the things that they look at is the excess space in the TDSB. We have a number of schools, 583,000, and there is excess space at some of our schools. So they look at it, the, the total picture and say, uh, you know, you have X number of empty student spaces, so we're not going to give you additional money. But Toronto, I think, is a very unique circumstance in the case that in the sense that we we have aging schools, the number of which I think doesn't even compare to any other school board in the province. Well, you've uh, also so. got a shifting demographic. There are more people moving back to the city. And so these schools that were, in some case, you know, uh, some of them, they, you know, people were questioning if they should be closed down for the lack of students. Now it's like they're getting flooded with students. Well, exactly. And that's one of the, the, the how it's just so complex, to be honest. You've got a school that maybe right now is low in enrollment, but then you look a number of years down the road and it's expected to go higher. Uh, you know, we have a secondary program review that we're looking at that talk, it while it impacts on the enrollment, really the way we're focusing on it is the the programs that are available. You have a high school, for example, that has a few hundred students. The fact is the programming is not going to be the same as a school with 1,000 or 1,500 students. Uh, it's just different. So we're trying to look at it from a programming angle is what is the absolute best we can offer our students and make sure they get access to all the programs that other students and other schools get. You know, by as a byproduct, a number of years down the road, will that look at maybe addressing addressing some of those empty spaces? Yes, but we're starting off looking at it from a programming perspective to make sure that, you know, students have access to the same programs that a school 15 kilometers away has. Uh, and right now, that's not necessarily the case. Ryan, why wouldn't you just rip the school down and, and build again if it's going to be cheaper to uh, build a state-of-the-art school than, you know, try and retrofit or renovate um, a school that could actually, you know, be a fire hazard in some cases. We saw that in Toronto. Well, depending on the circumstances, there's also heritage aspects to realize. So it, it may not be as easy to just tear down a school, uh, and, and nor would we want to if you've got that heritage element of it. Well, you the other thing to keep, Yeah, and, and the other thing to keep in mind is that let's say you have a school of 1,500 students, where do they go? 
Uh, and when you when you're building a new school, in some cases, you can have them stay in the school and you build elsewhere on the site. But sometimes it's not that easy. And despite the fact that the FCI, that facilities condition index we talked off the top, um, is higher, it may still be more expensive to rebuild because technically, yes, it e- one equals the other. But when you take a massive building and have to tear that down and then do soil remediation and you run into an issue like I'm sure at your house, I'm sure you've probably opened up the walls once and went, oh, my goodness, I, we did not expect to see that. Well, we run into that in our schools as well. So, you know, I think it's a very, very rough estimate to say, yes, it's about the same to replace it. But I think when you take into consideration the demolition and and a bunch of other things you have to keep in mind, putting students somewhere for a number of years, transporting them, it's a lot more complex. All right, Ryan. Well, uh, I thank you for trying to explain this subject because it does sound like it's a bit of a headache. And I appreciate your time today. (laughs) Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it.